Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome to Go Ask Alley, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Hi, I'm Allie Wentworth, and you're listening to Go Ask Alley, where this season I'm asking the question, how do you grow a teenager in a pandemic? Today, I'm going to be talking about mental health versus mental illness in teens. It is incredibly relevant today. I know so many people who are struggling and so many teens that are struggling. I actually um, picked up a newspaper today and saw that, you know, one of these six degrees of friends' daughter killed herself. And I can't help but wonder, was she suffering from, from depression anyway? And did she feel during this pandemic just not hopeful at all? So, um, it's, a, it's good timing that Jean Blake is here to kind of tell us the difference between mental health and mental illness and how we look for signs and how do we chart this very uncharted territory of a pandemic and teens that are dealing with a monstrous amount of things emotionally. So my guest today, I'm going to give your credits right off the top. Jean Blake, leadership communication coach, author award-winning science and medical TV journalist and news anchor and founder of BlakeWorks. And I have to tell you, Jean, I found you because I was doing some reading about teens and I came upon this article and you had so many great quotes in it. I circled your name and then I did what my teens do all the time, which is try to Instagram you, try to figure out who you were, Google you. And so <laughs> I found you. And I'm so happy you're here because there's a 
so many things that you can speak to. Uh, but today I do want to talk to you about, first of all, the difference between mental health and mental illness. So let's just start with the basics. Okay. So mental health, good, solid mental health is what we all need to thrive and to be resilient and deal now, particularly in a world that is so incredibly uncertain. Mental illness is when something goes awry and we need to go to professionals for help and get back on track. And we're fortunate in this country that we have brilliant people. I also served on, on the board at McLean Hospital, which is Harvard's uh, largest uh, mental health facility. So we are blessed in this country to have access to that when something goes awry and yeah. when parents or the other adults in kids' lives identify it and know when to reach out for that. And I'm wondering in a pandemic, it has to be more difficult. I mean, certainly you can find the people, but it's more difficult to get treatment. And if certainly in hardcore cases to actually be committed to a place like McLean or Silver Hill or or wherever, um, are you finding that to be true? Well, we knew that there was a veritable tsunami of mental health challenges coming down the road in early on in the pandemic. And of course, there will be a billion studies done on every population and how they're navigating through this. So we don't have the real data yet, but there have been some early studies that point to how challenging this is, and in particular for teens. One out of China and a Gallup poll in May conducted with parents of children who are school-aged it was a percentage that was like 35 or in that range, it's, it's easy enough to uh, Google, of parents who said that they were seeing declining uh, mental health in their own children as a result of the pandemic. So we knew that there was this, as I said, this tsunami of challenges that were coming down the line. It was hard already to access mental health. There's yeah. just a dearth of providers, and there are many reasons for that. Um, but we do know the president of McLean Hospital told me that they have just seen a, a, a very big increase in the demand and the request for mental health. But the good news is telehealth has been put on fast forward and McLean and other wonderful places are now providing that as are hospitals for general care. So mm -hmm. it can be accessed that way. One, one thing that worries me is that school is where a lot of kids get their mental health support. And they're not in school right now. And when right. they return in some kind of a hybrid situation, they will likely not have as much time in school. Therefore, they not only won't have the time to access it, but eyeballs on these kids who might be showing problems will be reduced. You know, mm -hmm. Coaches are often the, the people who see kids that are in trouble or the teachers. Or another thing that I see is that parents think it's just typical teenage angst. I mean, what's normal in a pandemic? I mean, what what is normal? So Nothing. it's all just, it's just a big uh, kind of messy soup right now that we're all figuring out together. Right. If, if somebody had a child that needed real medical assistance, how are these hospitals dealing with the safety rules in COVID? And well, what, what McLean did early on, they did an absolutely remarkable job of just changing the way care was delivered. And it was all ha hands on deck 24-7. Just one of the many things that McLean Hospital does remarkably well. It's amazing. I mean, in the 80s, I was a teenager. I was at boarding school. And 
Um, you know, I, I remember I had a friend taken away in a straitjacket. I had friends had all kinds of eating disorders. You know, this was sort of before uh, antidepressants were so commonly given. But mm -hmm. I think then when I was a teenager, how fraught everything was. Um, and now, you know, now that I have teens and now that we're in a pandemic, as a parent, I just go, I don't know what to do. Do I just put them all on Zoloft and hope for the best? Uh, no. Well, I mean, some children might need that, but yeah. So we do know that anxiety and depression were already increasing in the teen population before the pandemic. And suicide among, I believe it's 12 to 19 year olds, is the second leading cause of death in the country after homicide. We're already worried. Yeah. And then you drop a pandemic on top of all of that where everybody is scrambling. And we've got plenty of reason for concern. Now, I do want to talk about kids and resiliency. But first, mm -hmm. I've got a, a neighbor, a 13-year-old that I'm crazy about. Her name is Megan. And she and I had a really wonderful chat recently. She's really candid, super articulate. And she just described how really difficult this is for her. And I, I had chills talking to her. There are children in my life. But I really, really sat and talked with her about it and what she was feeling. And she said, you know, one day, so she's a self-described nerd. And last year, she found her, her little group. We would have lunch together every day. And she said, I just, I never realized how much my friends made every day better. And she said, we would share our food at lunch and we'd kind of tease each other and kind of push each other playfully and we'd fight over each other's tater tots and she said then you know and then we're in school one day singing disney songs and the next day we're in quarantine there was this visceral feeling of loss that i that as she described this is it loss because of the isolation or because yes. yeah and not having that kind of tactile relationship with with her yeah friends? she said it's just so different over zoom yeah. she said First, you know, you can't, and I thought this was cute. She said, you can't see what they're wearing or whether they have new shoes. And <laughs> <laughs> we have our priorities straight. I'm glad. But she was, she was just very thoughtful about how, how it's just not as free. And if she's on with her group of friends, you know, the, the muted mics or are the cameras on? And she said, and then we're not that good about planning that far ahead. So then we were just kind of seeing each other every two weeks because they, they live a little bit farther apart mm -hmm. from each other. That's a girl... Allie, that's got a mom and a dad and two younger siblings, and she's really close to them. And she describes her mom as her best friends. So she's struggling, and she cried when she talked with me, which I, I really was quite privileged that she shared that emotion with me. And talking about, you know, not just the pandemic, but she said they, they had just lost a family friend. Then she talked about George Floyd, and then she talked about, you know, the world. She's 13, and she yeah. said you know, what, what about my kids? What kind of world are they going to get? She said, it seems like 2020 every month is worse and it's not going in the right direction. So I thought if a 13 year old, she just turned 13 can articulate that. And she, she called it overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I asked her, I said, what's the emotion under that? And, you know, I thought, I wonder if she even knows what that means. And she said, it's just overwhelming. I said, well, some kids are anxious. Some kids are depressed. Some kids are sad. And she said, I'm sad. But then I cry and my mom gives me a hug and we talk and then I'm okay. So she's got all of that support. I believe that she'll be okay. So no, we, not every kid should just automatically have, you know, 
Zoloft in their breakfast cereal every morning. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, there are things that parents can do in their exhaustion and strain that will really help make the difference in how kids respond. We don't know what the long-term effects will be. As I said, there will be you know billions of studies, but one factor definitely is family dynamics, mm-hmm. for good or bad, by the way. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com at JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the wind down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes, and Stafford and Mutual Weave for him, style and comfort for all, even big and tall, plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Welcome back with more Go Ask Alley. Before we get into family dynamics, aren't you concerned about the millions of kids who, whether they had an ongoing, you know, problem with depression or they were anxious or they were fine and suddenly their parents have lost their jobs. And so not only are they dealing with the pandemic and fear of getting sick, but now they have parents that are probably in some kind of a depression based on whatever has happened to them um, economically. I wonder, is there going to be a whole generation of depressed people because of the tidal wave of what's happened right now in this moment? Well, I don't think that we want to automatically diagnose, you know, every child who's going through a really hard time. I did read recently 
that during the recession in the 90s, the number of kids who experienced mental health challenges really went up and it was directly correlated with economic insecurity. And when I read that, I thought about my childhood. I grew Mm -hmm. up in a tiny town in Minnesota. My dad owned a little corner grocery store, a bigger market came to town, and my dad lost his business. My mother wasn't working at the time. She took her first job outside of the house at the age of 50, or we would have lost our home. And, And to this day, I can tell you, that experience is very much with me, very, very much with me. And I remember conversations that my mother and I had about it, and it was terrifying. There are times in my life when I've gone through, you know, different shifts in my life where all of those emotions came back. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've worked hard on that, and, and I'm resilient. We can't just automatically say that every kid um, that's going to really suffer through this will pay for a lifetime. They'll remember it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true. You say that about your upbringing. I had a had a horrible depression in my 20s where I, I couldn't even get out of bed. And, you, you know, my whole family was terrified because I was this close to going to a McLean or a hospital. I couldn't eat. I couldn't do anything. And now, when I look back at that time, I do feel resilient. I f- there is something about going through an incredibly difficult period, whether it's personally, historically, it does make you stronger. Um, so maybe I'm I'm looking at it the glass half empty instead of half full. Well, what you just described, going through an adverse situation, there's actually a name for that. And Dr. Amy Gagliardi at McLean taught me post-traumatic growth. When we experience adversity, it's the actual struggle. And resilience is what helps us get through that struggle. And Amy talked about three ways that we can build and foster that resilience. And we can talk about those now if you want to. I'd love to. I love post-traumatic growth instead of post-traumatic stress. Had you ever heard of that? No, but I, I really like it. Isn't it great? And yes. It's a thing. It's yeah. a real thing. I mean, there's, she sent me papers on it. I mean, I read about it and I was, I too was just so thrilled. And she even said that she's doing some of the things that we talked about that day. And I definitely am. So the first one is building connection. And so, for example, when I think about Megan, you know, she, she one of the things that she really misses is not being able to see her friends Um, But she has had opportunity to safely be around other kids. And parents have to work hard to find that. It might be a bike ride with a kid, a socially distanced trip to the park where Mm -hmm. you sit on a blanket and have a picnic. But those are um, more structured sort of senses of connection. And, you know, as much as we didn't like social media before and Zoom and FaceTime and all of that, that's really helping right now. Of course, there are all kinds of boundaries that have to be put around that, but that is helping. Just for your listeners, I really want to share this because this was eye-opening to me. It doesn't have to be an intimate exchange. You don't even have to know the person. You don't even have to like the person. So I live by a beach. So I had been to the beach that morning, I believe, before this conversation with Amy. And it was high tide, so there wasn't a lot of room to walk. And so this woman that I didn't know was coming in my direction. So I stopped, she stopped, 
and we negotiated, okay, who's going to go where? <laughs> and, and it took a, a second because we kind of went back and forth. And then I just paused and I said, you know, how are you doing? And we just had this exchange that was about 20 seconds long. And she said, that counts. That counts. So now when I go to the grocery store, which I don't go that often still, but I will now stop with the cashier and I will intentionally engage. I'm, I'm really mindful of connection because I know that it's, I know that it's helping us. Mm-hmm. The second is practicing gratitude. And Amy gave a really great example of this, a study that was done. She talked about a study in which people were over a week, it might have lasted longer, but in the first week, one group was asked to write down something they were grateful for. The second group was just to write down something they were really hassled about. And the third, just neutral, write whatever you want. And after one week, the people who wrote down things that they were grateful for showed a more positive mood. They were more likely to exercise, which, hello. And the third was that they were more willing to do things for other people. And importantly, they slept better, regardless of the time of the day that they did it. She gave this as a very convincing piece of evidence around this practice of gratitude. And, and then the third one is doing for others. And I know that you and your family does a lot for others. So you may already know this, but this get, doing for others, even in teeny tiny doses, uh, generates positive emotions and more so than receiving. And there are uh, studies done on functional MRI machines mm-hmm. where they actually show that the reward center lights up more when you're giving than when you're receiving. And so we can practice just doing small things for people and it makes us feel good. There's this thing called, um, it, you know, because it boosts endorphins as well. It's called a helper's high. And it's kind of like a runner's high. And yeah, so there's yeah. a real benefit, a real physiological benefit of doing these things. And I think we can help our kids by encouraging them to do something for somebody else. I mean, it's a distraction, but it also gives them a sense of purpose and meaning. One friend. Tanya told me that she and her girls and possibly some other people in their neighborhood built or created lunch boxes for their, uh, the food pantry at, mm-hmm. uh, through their church. Uh, one of the girls built a rainbow of balloons uh, and put up a sign, thank you, frontline workers that might see it by going by their house. I mean, just these little tiny things teach kids there are things that we can do and it's not just about us. It's interesting you say that because, I mean, it is something that we try to implement with our kids. And in terms of the grateful, um, one of the things we try to instill with with our two daughters is we try to have family dinner every night. And we certainly did during the pandemic. And we would go around the table and say, what are you grateful for? Particularly in a world where, you know, people are dying and suffering and losing their homes and their jobs. And I could see a tiny little change in them because instead of being, oh my God, this is so horrible, the pandemic, they had a moment where they go, well, I'm so grateful that I'm with my parents or whatever it was. So it took them, you know, certainly took them off themselves, which they were on their phones all about themselves for hours before that. But it got them out of their um, sort of self-involvement, I guess, and, and did make them look at the world in a much bigger way instead of, you know, this this sucks for me, um, which I, I think is, is you know, they teach it in religion. They teach it in so many sort of spiritual practices about being grateful, and it works. Exactly. There's just evidence that all of this, and you saw those tiny little bits in your girls, and when, when that's cumulative in a practice that continues, 
Those are the kinds of things that I believe will get so many of our teens to the other side of this who can then reflect back and be changed in a positive way. I mean, the uncertainty right now, we can't make promises to what it's going to look like. Megan, the 13-year-old said, you know, what is this world going to look like? And, you know, that's not something we can answer. But what we can do right now is help give them purpose and meaning. Another friend of mine talks about the importance of helping kids build competencies. And that at a time when, of course, it, the teenage years are when you are building your social skills. Yeah. They're when you are figuring out who the heck you are. You're developing empathy. And importantly, and you know this for sure, they want that autonomy from their parents, but oh, they, when they need you, they really, 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 really need you. <laughs> and so, right now. Yeah, that, that is very difficult for a parent. I mean, I, I barely remember it as a teenager, but I'm getting a lot of wanting to be close, like cuddling with me and telling mm-hmm. me everything. And then the next minute, like, I don't want to talk about it, door slams. You know, I never. Well, good. Congratulations. They're right on track. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Celebrate. But how do they how do they create autonomy in a pandemic? Well, I mean, how do I allow them to? Yeah. (laughs) Intentionally. So, you know, they are going to spend more time in their room. And, you know, we have to continually check in Mm -hmm. and just make sure that that kids are okay. It's really all hands on deck. But I, I want to talk a little bit about building competency because I think that as kids are struggling with that wanting autonomy, and you know, some kids were able to get on you know public transportation for the first time, or they they were out in the world in mm-hmm. a way that they're not now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, friends have told me really interesting stories about things that that their kids are doing that are giving them that sense of. Um, not adultness. Well, okay, let's use that. I don't even think that's a word, but like caring for their siblings, you know, in a way that they didn't before because mom and dad are on Zoom and they're working 14 hours a day. Right. And so the kids have to step up. Another friend, her son was supposed to be in a school play and found out, I think three days before they were going to perform that it had been canceled because of the pandemic. I mean, suddenly boom, quarantine. And he went to bed for four or five days. And his mom was obviously and correctly very concerned and would check in. And he said, mom, I just need time. I just need some downtime. And then she, she really did have to prod him after, I think, about the fifth day. Uh, and so he, he went out and he started to run. And then voila, he discovered cooking. And he just loves to cook. Wow. I'm jealous, right? I mean, I want him to come to my house. (laughs) Yeah. And they're having what she described as restaurant quality meals every night. She said, this came out of nowhere. So that's building competency and the family's loving the food. And she said, oh my God, I'm driving. You can't believe where I'm going for these ingredients because she wants to foster this in her kid. So there are ways. We have to stay really tuned into our kids. My clients are to a person depleted. And a friend of mine's a therapist and she said that there are parents that are just saying, whatever, just go do it. What I'm done. Do it. What it, Do what you got to do. And <sighs> we can't do that because no. kids, kids don't know. They're not malicious. No. They don't want to do something bad, but they're like, well, Jimmy seems fine. He doesn't seem sick. I think I'll go hang out with him. And suddenly there are 15 kids there. I mean, this happened and you might've read about it in Greenwich, Connecticut. They had parties at one yeah. of the parties. The parents were serving alcohol and guess what? Boom. As of my last reading, 88 people had become infected by this. Right. So, we, you know, unfortunately, we can't let our guard down. 
I mean, yeah, we we can't let our guard down for a number of reasons. But um, I will say, too, that I've noticed, certainly with my friends, um, I didn't realize how many things our children just need to learn in general. I have a friend and she and her husband both work. They're on Zoom calls all day. And, you know, to their youngest 12-year-old said, you know, you're got to clean the toilets. I'm going to buy you a brush. You're going to clean the toilets. <laughs> like, you got to do the laundry. Like, you got to pitch in. And we started implementing that a little bit in our house. And I realized this is a good thing. They shouldn't have exactly. to do all this stuff. I can't believe I've been doing all this stuff for them. <laughs> you know, and then there became kind of a sense of community of like, the, these are the chores. These are, we all live together. We all need to kind of help out. And, and that was certainly helpful. It also kept them busy for a little while. But I, I think what's happening now is things are opening up a little bit, certainly for us in New York. And so mm-hmm. the parents are kind of going, well, that was whew, that was an exhausting few months. Yeah, now go do whatever you want. And that makes me very, very nervous, certainly for you know my eldest teen who wants to go out and socialize. Um, I think there's a majority of parents that are tired and are allowing the teens to kind of, you know, go out. And this is not on any from any statistic, but I would assume these teens, some of them are just raring to get out there. They've been cooped up with their parents for months, you know, so it's a little bit like letting the greyhounds out of the gate. So how do you speak to parents when they say, I'm I'm exhausted? Well, you can't put the baby back. It's your job. That's how I say it. Mm -hmm. You know, and did we come through all of this to then just say, okay, let the greyhounds out. No, kids want to do the right thing. I think we need to recognize that. They want to do the right thing. It's our job to help them understand what that is. And and if you create concrete examples for them, they're much more likely to take it into their still developing brain. So they should, um, So for example, should a parent say, you know, I just read about Uh, what happened in Greenwich, Connecticut, let me tell you, you know, this would happen and consequently grandparents were sick. I mean, should people actually pull real stories as learning tools? Absolutely. I mean, before the pandemic, I always said that about whether it's sex or alcohol or other drugs, the media is full of real life stories. And Mm -hmm. so absolutely, because the more concrete and real that we make it, the more likely they are to stand up to their civic duty and try to do their part. I mean, some kids are going to be really good about that. Some are going to be very laissez-faire and get by with it. And others will be laissez-faire and they will regret it because someone that they love will get sick because mm-hmm. of their behaviors. I mean, it's happening. It's as easy to predict as the sun coming up tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Now a quick word from our sponsors. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. 
to have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com at JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring, and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day, as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first like worthington and liz claiborne for her each in women's petite and plus sizes and stafford and mutual weave for him style and comfort for all even big and tall plus even more for the whole family like levi's and exertion here spring comes in all shapes sizes and colors jc penny make everybody count Welcome back to Go Ask Alley. Let's get back to the discussion. So uh, you talked earlier about growth from adversity. So I, I want to talk about positive things because, again, this is coming off of parents being exhausted. How do I instill that sense to my kids and, and other parents instill to theirs, that sense of you can grow from this? that we go forward as opposed to locking ourselves in our rooms and then pulling down the shades. Right. Well, first of all, just being present. Kids need someone that they can bump off of that they really trust. You know, it's easy for me to say, but I know how hard this is because all of the people that I know and my clients are working, you know, around the clock. I mean, they get up at the crack of dawn to work before all hell breaks loose in the household. And I'm not saying that every house is dealing with stuff, but, you know, you combine quarantine with raging hormones and really long work schedules and you got something going on there. And so listen, listen, John Reed, the former CEO of Citibank, I talked with him about, I don't know how many years ago, but I've never forgotten what he said. I was talking with him about Um, because I I work with leaders primarily now. And I I said, you know, what do you think is the key quality of an effective leader? And he said, listening. And he said, when I say listen, I mean, listen with both ears and with your eyes and not think about the next thing you're going to say. Because we know kids are intuitive. They can tell when we are really, really listening. And so to listen and put down the phone, really engage. That's what empathy is, is really understanding where somebody's coming from. A friend's kid was, you know, in tears over something. And she said, this isn't worth crying about. And the daughter said, I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen. Yeah. And I mean, it was worth crying about because the kid was crying. I hear that from my kids too. Now I've given myself permission when I'm with my girls to say, yeah, I'm scared too. 
I, I don't exactly. know. I don't know. But the parent in me wants to fix it. And the parent in me was like, oh, I'm sure you're going to have prom this spring. Oh, no doubt school opens soon. You know, because that's instinctual for me to try to fix it for them. I think it's scary to say to the kids, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea. I'm terrified. You're like, oh my God, am I giving them a solid base? No, but it's Yes, you are, because that's honest. Mm-hmm. And we all have emotions. Emotions are good. It's how we talk about them. I mean, if you say, I'm not scared, well, I mean, first of all, your girls have access to the news. They know what's going on and they're not going to believe you. And so you're going to lose trust. And then right. just subconsciously, they're going to think mom's just trying to make me feel better. I think it's how we talk about them. I mean, if we, if we are angry and we get really angry and throw a pot across the room, you know, that's not modeling how we deal with these very real, very real emotions. We can say, I am so angry about this. I mean, we, we can modulate our own emotions and then model to them how to handle these. But in talking about our fear and our frustrations and even how exhausted we find everything is just really honest. And they absorb much more by watching us than the advice we give them. And you know that. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's not what we say. It's what we do, actually. Um, we talked about what Amy said, helpful, positive things. So I want to just quickly go over them again. It's connection. So uh, go on a bike ride with somebody. Um, in my case, find a friend who will go clamming with me. Um, safe in a pandemic, one-on-one things. So I can say to my daughters, why don't you ask a friend if you want to go to the beach and social distance at the beach? Or like exactly. you said, have a picnic. But uh, Allie, I yeah. just want to say it doesn't have to be like a two-hour thing. You know, if the mailman comes or the UPS guy drops something now at the end of my walk, you know, I'll yell out and I'll say, hey, thanks so much. And, you know, we, we can have a 20-second thing. I don't even know his name. Amy says that counts as connection. Okay, right, right, right. So that's that's acts of kindness, basically, especially right now when people are, are needing it. Um and the gratefulness, what are, what are you grateful for? And the third is? Is doing doing for others. Doing for Even others. Even those little mini tiny things. It can be just the smallest thing and it counts. Great. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, so you don't have to bake banana bread for everybody in the, in the state, but you can You're say hi to a. your UPS guy. <laughs> yes, I know. Um, and are there any, you know, these are such simple, but helpful, positive things. Are there any things that we should be looking at um, or looking for with our teens in terms of mental health that should be warning signs? Yeah. What we want to look for is when they have more bad days than good, when their sleeping patterns shift and they're not curious or interested in doing the things that they were interested in doing before, it's time to check in ask your pediatrician, just staying on top of it. Super important because we know that there are going to be young people who really need professional help at the end of this. That's just a given. I've written a series of booklets, Words Can Work When Talking About Depression, Words Can Work When Talking About Alcohol, Words Can Work When Talking About Drugs. And parents in every one of those situations, really, what regardless of what the public or mental health challenge was, that their kid was experiencing, I had parents tell me, I just thought it was typical teenage angst. So now when we're so distracted and we're tired and we're stressed, we have to dig much deeper, I think, 
to make sure that we're on top of what normal is for our kid and when they vary from that. A friend of mine, Laura, has three teens, and she said that she has to remind herself every single day that she has to be the parent because she said, sometimes I want to be 10. I'm just, you know, she just wants to suck her thumb and pull the blanket up. But she has to remind herself every day that that she has to do this now because in the long run, it's going to really help her kids come through this much stronger and um, more productive, happier, healthier. And we can do it. You know, it will make a difference. I know. I'm trying. And then I, I do want to say, are there things particularly going on now that that would trigger a depression or trigger um, real height and anxiety? Mm-hmm. What is a safe dialogue to have with your teen about any sort of mental health issues? Can you well, speak this to doesn't, that? Um, Brian Johnson, who's a friend of mine, he's an addiction specialist, told me recently that interestingly, many young people teens can are buying drugs in the hallways at school uh, you know essentially you can swing a cat in a hallway at school and hit someone who's got drugs in their pocket for sale and all kinds of drugs whether they're Adderall for ADHD or oxycontin I mean in marijuana I mean you can buy this stuff in the schools parents definitely now that kids are going to be going back to some kind of school schedule hybrid in school thing need to be talking with their kids because we are in this heightened time of anxiety and uncertainty. And we know that adults and kids both Mm self-medicate. And so it's important that parents have these conversations and help role play. How would, you know, what would you do? Do you know any of your friends that are using drugs? You know, what, what are your dreams and aspirations? What do you want to accomplish? And let me help you understand that that's much more likely to happen if you don't get engaged in drugs. So Jean, you have, um, I actually, I read about this before we spoke, Words Can Work, which are books about how parents can speak to the teenagers, their kids, about uh, many different subjects. So tell me about these, because I think these will be so helpful for parents. So prior to being an executive coach, I produced multimedia about kids and the public and mental health challenges that they face growing up. And I did that for a long time. So we have a library of multimedia. And I was, when I was producing a a video called um, Alcohol True Stories that Matt Damon hosted, that parents would say, they would, I'd say, do you talk to your kids about alcohol? And they came up with these, they, so many parents said, I don't know what to say. And literally some people said, give me the words. So I was really fortunate to work with a a number of experts from McLean Hospital, from Mass General, from uh, my friend Brian Johnson, who's now at SUNY in Syracuse, um, on this set of booklets. So they're available on e-booklets. Words can work when talking about alcohol. Words can work when talking about drugs. Words can work when talking about depression. And... um, and our, our website, blakeworks.com, you can find this under a blog that I wrote recently about kids and men, their mental health. That's fantastic. One of the biggest hurdles for parents is finding the words and how to talk to kids about any of these things. Yeah, and so many parents are afraid that, well, if I talk about it, they'll do it. Well, guess what? They're already doing it. They're already thinking about it. And so I, I just, I think giving them context yeah. and, and 
helping them role play how they can negotiate out of situations because we know that kids are under peer pressure to do all of this stuff. And it's, it's a big gift that we can give our kids to meet them where they are and help them find their way out of it. Yeah, I safely. mean, I, I found that by talking about it, I've even given them a few hints. Like if you, if you feel like you're going to be judged at a party because you don't drink, have a cup of ginger ale. They don't know what it is. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like there's there's ways of of kind of going around peer pressure and stuff. And you know, these are conversations I never would have had with them had I not sat down and said, "Look, I'm not this is not a lecture. You know, I'm not saying just say no to drugs. I want to have a real conversation with you about them. What you're thinking, what you're feeling, how scary they are." Um and that's helped, but I I I do know that there've been times I've been tongue-tied about how to broach a subject. Thank you so much. Jean Blake, thank you for uh, helping me and so many parents through this. And I may pull you back on my podcast again in a few months to see how we're doing. I hope so. It's yeah. just a pleasure. Thank, thank you, you for what you're doing, making a difference in people's lives. Thank you. Thank you. Three positive things we can implement in our lives. Connection, gratitude, acts of kindness. Thank you for listening to Go Ask Alley. Remember to subscribe to Go Ask Alley. And follow me on my social media, Twitter, at Allie E. Wentworth, and Instagram, The Real Allie Wentworth. Go Ask Allie is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 